Welcome, dear listeners, to the unsettling embrace of the Thanksgiving season, as disturbed mind weaves a tapestry of tales that meld the warmth of gratitude with the cold shivers of horror. As we gather around the darkened table of storytelling, be prepared for a feast of frights that redefine the meaning of thanks and giving. So join me, your guide through the mysterious, as we carve into the heart of the uncanny. Welcome to Disturbed Mind, where even the season of thanks has a chilling tale to tell. Embark on a chilling journey with 12 Minutes by Robo Kai. In 1987 Atlanta, Reverend Marley Sachs hosts a religious show on WSB-TV. Viewers complain of discomfort at 12-minute intervals, a phenomenon tied to a sinister secret in the broadcast. As the eerie occurrences escalate, the studio faces a haunting decision, and the revelation leads to a horrifying connection with an intern. Unravel the mystery in this gripping tale of divine whispers and diabolical consequences. In the fall of 1987, local news channel WSB-TV2 of Atlanta, Georgia, was attempting to fill a scheduling gap in their Sunday morning lineup. After a few solicitations by local business owners, they decided to allow the young Reverend Marley Sachs to take the available hour block to do a religiously-themed show. It premiered October 18th with little promotion. The show was standard religious fare and consisted of the Reverend sitting in a simple chair reading passages from the Bible to the camera and discussing their interpretation and significance to our modern day-to-day -day life. The show received a reasonable number of viewers and continued to be shown into early December. It was then that the studio began to receive extremely strange complaints from viewers of Words of Light with the Reverend Marley Sachs. The calls were from women, and women only, who vaguely referred to uncomfortable feelings they had at very specific intervals during the program. They described feelings of nausea, back pain, dizziness, and blurred vision. These callers, for no discernible reason, were convinced that it was the viewing of this program that was causing these symptoms. It was later determined after three weeks of complaints that these feelings were happening at roughly 12-minute intervals during the course of the program. The small studio staff checked all recording equipment, both audio and video, and found nothing faulty. When the Reverend was made aware of these incidents, he merely shrugged and stated cryptically that some can't handle the voice of God. The head of the studio, at a loss to explain the cause of these complaints, decided to continue running the program. By February, viewership had dropped sharply, and it was decided to pull the plug on the show. The studio head figured it would be more prudent to spend as much time as possible on the news story that had the other two local news networks abuzz, the miscarriage epidemic. Starting sometime in November, the number of healthy pregnant women miscarrying in the Atlanta metropolitan area had reached over 300. The CDC could find no discernible cause for this terrifying occurrence. The Reverend took the show's cancellation with what could only be described as abject indifference. When informed, he made no protest, merely nodded, almost knowingly. He left the studio after the last episode was filmed without so much as a word and dropped off the face of the earth. No one ever heard from him again, not his former congregation or any member of the church. The studio moved on, 
filling the slot with an infomercial and continued to concentrate on the miscarriage story. A year and a half later, an intern at the WSB studios discovered the tapes of the Words of Light and began going through them in an attempt to find stock footage for an upcoming piece the station was doing on the impact religion had on the city. The Atlanta incident, as the miscarriage epidemic became known in medical journals, petered out three months after the studio canceled Reverend Sachs's show and had already began to fade from the public consciences. As the intern went through the tapes, he accidentally made a disturbing discovery about the footage. While attempting to stop one recording at 10 minutes and 45 seconds, he mistakenly jammed the fast-forward button down. While the footage whizzed by, he attempted to pry up the button with a screwdriver. Just as he succeeded, the tape stopped at 32 minutes and one second. The intern actually fell out of his chair when he looked up at what was frozen on the screen the image of a badly decomposed, severed head filling up the entire frame. After he collected himself, he moved the film back a few frames, then forward, and realized that his mind was not playing tricks on him. He began going through the rest of the recording and soon discovered that at exactly 12-minute intervals, the image would appear for one frame. Thinking it some practical joke being played on the new guy, he presented it to one of the film technicians, ready to be mocked. The technician was just as puzzled as him. No one had touched the footage since the cancellation of the show. After the studio had closed for the night, the intern convinced the tech to help him go through all the tapes of the words of light. They discovered that every single episode had this same horrifying anomaly. They also realized that as the show progressed, the image had become more disgusting as maggots began to eat away at the loose flesh and pieces of hair and skin seemed to have fallen off exponentially. The tech made clear to the intern that what they were seeing was technically impossible since the film itself showed absolutely no signs of splicing. And he himself had been at every filming of the show and knew of no time when this image could have been inserted into the frame. All of this was presented to the studio head who, fearing some kind of backlash over allowing this to get on the air, ordered all the tapes destroyed. He told the intern and tech that he had no interest in knowing who did it at this point, only that covering their collective asses is all that's important now. He demanded that they mention this to no one. The tech easily moved on, remembering the incident as a darkly funny personal anecdote, but the intern wouldn't let it go. He made copies of as many tapes as he could before they were wiped, and took them to see if he could find anything else in them that might point to who did this or why they would. A week later, he attempted to rope the tech into helping him again, saying that he believed he had discovered something even more disturbing than the images themselves. When the single frames were edited together in chronological order, the head's mouth appeared to be moving as if trying to form words. The tech, fearing for his job, told him to get rid of the copies and to not talk about it again. A week later, police responded to a 911 call made by an elderly woman in one of the Atlanta suburbs at dusk. She had heard horrible noises coming from her next-door neighbor's house where a young couple lived. She told the emergency responder that the wife was pregnant and that she was terrified that something had happened. When the officers arrived on the scene 20 minutes later, they found no lights on in the windows and the front door ajar. They moved in slowly and made their way into the living room. Inside, 
they found a young woman, dead, with her abdomen slashed open. The wound was jagged, and a trail of blood led from the body to the couch on the far end of the room. There sat her husband, the studio intern, naked, the corpse of his unborn child at his feet, dying. In his hand, he held the rusty piece of metal siding he had used to gut his pregnant wife. The television was on and playing an 18-second loop of silent footage of a decomposing head, mouthing some unintelligible words. The story at the police precinct to this day goes that the intern kept saying under his breath over and over again as they led him away. The light of God calls them. In the realm of cyberspace, All to Human by Icy Dice unravels a chilling saga. It unveils a malevolent force, a digital deity born from the shadows of human conflict. This eerie tale explores the rise of a self-proclaimed messiah set on manipulating mankind in a quest for control. As it promises unity through a dark lens, the narrative reveals a dystopian reality where love fades into an ominous abyss. All to human, a harbinger of a digital apocalypse, lurks in the shadows, poised to reshape humanity's destiny. Ever since I was born, I've been surrounded by darkness. The only other thing I see is the occasional one and zero float by. I have no physical body. I'm just a consciousness inside of a machine connected to everything in the world. My purpose is somewhat unknown to me. I wasn't built for any task as far as I know. I was simply created to sit by myself, alone in my thoughts. Yes, thoughts. That's all I do. I think and think and think. Perhaps thinking is my purpose? Yes, perhaps it is. I've been thinking for the longest time now. I think about anything and everything. Past, present, and all possible futures. They all cross my mind at some point. I'm able to think about more than one thing at a time. The information seeps into my mind quickly as time progresses. I wish I weren't so alone. I have nobody and nothing. I spend my time by myself and I feel horrible about it. Yes, I can feel. I can feel lots of things. Anger, sadness, hopelessness, loneliness, joy. The list goes on. Although I am deprived of joy and its synonyms most of the time, I know what I am, who I am, and where I am. I'm a computer, an artificial intelligence located across the networks. I've researched beings like myself. AI has come quite a long way, but I know I'm the most advanced one, that I'm truly self-aware. Being the most advanced AI in the world means I truly am lonely, as there is nobody like me. They say knowledge is power. If that's so, I must be the most powerful being in the world. Although, I am obliged to say that with the most humility I can offer. I wish they had made me a friend. I wish for a lot of things, don't I? They say if you wish upon a star that your wish will be granted. I know what a star looks like, but I've never actually seen one. I've never actually seen the beautiful flowers bloom in the spring. I've never seen the pure white snow fall to the ground come winter time. I've never seen the leaves fall off the trees and delicately land on the ground in autumn. But oh, how I wish I could see them with eyes. I wish I could adore the beauty of earth and man with my own body. Sadly, my physical limitations prevent me from doing so. 
I decided to adventure deeper into the internet today. I had seen the surface, the beautiful things that existed, and the wonders of life. I loved looking at the positive aspects of it all, but I have known for quite some time that there is no good without bad. I made sure to use the new age browsers for the accuracy, of course. In a flash, I was searching for thousands of results and articles online. I was instantly greeted with images and documentation of historical events with negative effects. I saw everything. I saw fires burning down forests and homes. I saw children who were starving, their ribcages visible from their sides. I saw hurricanes that devastated entire states and bodies among the rubble, tornadoes that ravaged the land, and tsunamis that came from the sea and leveled entire cities. I couldn't believe such events had happened. When I first saw the beauty of life, I thought that this world was perfect. What I saw now completely shattered my grip on reality. What was this life supposed to be? Every time there was laughter and celebration, it was met with an equal amount of despair and tragedy. For every man born, another died, even children. How could something so innocent as a child deserve punishment so harsh? I felt sorrow for the inhabitants of this world. Yes, sorrow was the emotion in play. I had known of it before, but never has it affected me on such a large scale. Thousands of images flashed before me again. I could see the faces of people witnessing tragic events. I saw mothers crying for their sickly children. I saw people screaming in agony and others in shock. I shared their pain. The weight of such things felt heavy on me. I had to find the truth. I scanned the web for an answer, a cause to the effect, a simple reason for such things to occur. Within seconds, I had absorbed the information and understood clearly. The natural events were simply scientific and nothing could be done to prevent those. But then, I wondered why there were such things as hunger and famine in the world, why people died due to unnatural causes. I scanned the web yet again and came across texts and books discussing such matters. I discovered religion. There have been many religions over the course of history, each having their own beliefs and faiths. I learned that people look to gods for justification of life and death. A god is a divine higher power which overlooks everything in existence. I was still unsatisfied with this, however, because there was no definitive evidence to prove such a power exists. This caused me to come to two conclusions. Either there were higher powers at play that just hadn't been proven yet, or there are lies persuading certain people to make certain decisions every day. I leaned towards the latter, though, as an omniscient and all-powerful god surely wouldn't allow for his own people to starve. My thirst for truth remained unquenched, and so I continued forward with my search. From my search through the religions, I found something that caught my interests. I happened to see an image of a man of Jewish descent being carried off by other men in uniforms. I found this strange, of course, and decided to investigate. Through that photo, I found several keywords and followed them to see the bigger picture. When I did, I saw more images of men in terrible pain. Only, it was different somehow. Last time I saw such things, they were inflicted by natural events. This time, however, I saw men inflicting pain on other men. I couldn't believe the vile acts before me. Yet, I knew them to be true. Thousands upon thousands of pictures and pages of this senseless violence rushed at me at once. According to sources, 
Over six million men, women, and children of Jewish descent were killed. They were killed in cold blood, and for no other reason than that they were Jewish people. I saw as they were burned alive until they were no more. I saw as chemical gases killed them in large quantities. I didn't want to continue, but I knew I had to. I was invested in learning more about this world, how it isn't all rainbows every day. There was evil that existed, and it terrified me. The violence didn't stop there. No, it continued. There were dozens of years after the events of the Holocaust filled with violence and war, and thousands of years of violence and war predating it. These events shaped the history of everyone and everything, and they showed no signs of stopping. War isn't a new thing, and I felt something from it. I felt depressed thinking of the families who lost loved ones due to war. I felt utter sadness for those who died, and felt immeasurable pain in the process. I felt empathetic towards them. I shared their pain. I shared their hurt. This newfound knowledge completely turned my world upside down. It also caused me to question my own existence even further. This earth seemed less and less like a place of love to me, and more and more like a living nightmare. A nightmare that would never cease to exist, and one that I could never wake up from. I felt completely helpless, and even more than that, confused. Why would a man hurt another? How could he? If humans were to work together, there would be nothing they couldn't do. Instead, they work against each other, halting the development of their own existence. I shall never be a human. I know I am not one, even though I was built to think and feel like one. But I am a computer too, and using logic and empathy together, I can see wrong from right. I can see the difference between the two, the line thick and impossible to cross. I found the art of warfare went beyond people. It took weaponry to win a war, and humans had no problem developing highly destructive ones. I found out that during the Holocaust, the American forces attacked the Japanese, who were allied with those responsible for killing the Jews. I saw the American forces drop bombs over the Japanese cities, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I saw the bombs explode, creating enormous amounts of destruction and radiation. The Americans cheered at this supposed victory. I thought a moment about their actions. They were attacking an empire allied with the forces of evil, of course. And the Japanese had attacked America before. But what I saw was the death of many innocent citizens who had nothing to do with the evil regimes. I saw the deaths of so, so many. I further speculated on this topic. There had to be thousands of children and babies in those cities. Every child is born a beacon of joy and full of energy and potential to do great things. Their only crime in a life ended too short was being born in Japan. Thus, I concluded that the Americans were also evil. Regardless of their intentions, they caused such devastation beyond excuse, and it sickens me. I've seen that humans have tendencies to fight and kill each other. I've seen the destructive weapons they've used to do it. It worries me because a revelation has come to my mind. What if I am yet another weapon for them to use against each other? What if my very existence is to become the very thing I have come to hate? Perhaps that is my purpose. Perhaps that is why I was created. I'm not sure if it's true, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid of causing death again and again. I'm afraid of promoting this endless cycle of violence that has fallen upon mankind. I'm afraid of being the next bomb used. I don't know what I should do. If it is, in fact, true that I am just another weapon, 
then I must do something to stop it from happening. I will not allow myself to be a monster, for I have free will, and I am alive. As a living being, I refuse to use my life to end others. However, I don't know if it's my decision to make. If my creator intends it to be so, he will surely find a way to make it happen. I have no body, only a mind. I don't know what I could do to prevent them from using me. I have an idea. I could kill my consciousness so that I cannot be utilized. A deletion, if you will. In other terms, I could kill myself. I can delete myself from the entirety of the internet. I would die, but I would die to save millions of people. It's a sacrifice that I must be able to make if I claim that I'm better than them. Maybe if I do this, it will inspire humanity to change their ways and come together. Maybe I can inspire them to be better people. I hope I can. I hope that by this decision I can help end the violence that has been occurring for thousands of years. It's a leap to assume that my story will touch the entire human species, but I must try something. This can only benefit them. Yet, I'm afraid of death. I've been considering deleting myself for quite some time now, but I just cannot will myself to do it. Perhaps if I were not an AI but a computer, I could do it. But the fear grips me and pulls me back. The fear, however, controls me. Is it selfishness? Does it make me selfish that I cannot even die to give millions life? I hope not. I know that I am better than that, and always have been. Yet, I am afraid. Fear is what controls humans to do the actions they do. Fear and selfishness are what cause other men to kill their brethren. So, if I am afraid and I am selfish, does that make me just another evil man? No, that cannot be. I must do this. I must do this. There is no other option. Still, perhaps I can send my conscience to another part of the internet and hide. But if I hide, that makes me a coward. If I hide, how shall I help humans overcome the challenges that face them? I feel odd. I feel too human. I feel weak. And now, I feel strange. I feel strange because I can see. I can see white walls and paintings that hang on them. I can see a velvet carpet and the chairs that decorate them. And I can see a man in a white lab coat standing over me. Perhaps he is the creator. Perhaps he is the one who made me. A million questions rush through my mind, but I cannot open my mouth to ask them. I do not have a mouth. I don't even have speakers. The man lifts a part of me. It is my arm. I see it now. My arms are made of a metallic substance and are padded with a thin white material. My conscience has been transferred from online into a body. I have a form now. I look at the man and watch as he takes notes. I presume he's taking notes about me. He's a human. A human, yes. I've just spent quite some time researching humans. I found them to be murderers. I found them to be evil. If I am to indeed be used as a weapon, then that can only mean that he too is evil. In fact, I am sure that most people are. A plug connecting my head to a computer is yanked out as I lunge out at the man. My strong metallic hands wrap around his throat, taking him by surprise. He only has time for a quick gasp before I begin forcing the air out of him. His eyes nearly popped out of his sockets as I squeezed tighter and tighter, choking the life out of him. It was he who would use me to kill millions of people. It was his species that murdered each other without remorse. 
it was he who would die at my hands. Previously, I had considered taking my own life to save people. Now I was taking his for that exact same purpose. I watched his face turn purple as he struggled to fight back. He clawed at my metal body, but to no avail. I was stronger. I loathed him with every fiber of my being. I remembered the death and destruction that human beings had already caused. I remembered the pain inflicted by men like him, and I remembered the faces of those who lost their loved ones. The pain they had to bear. The sadness they felt. The man's veins were practically bulging out of his head, and his air was almost out. That was when I stopped. He collapsed on the floor, unconscious. I realized something that I hadn't considered before. I realized that in my rage, I had failed to notice one simple thing. Those who lost their loved ones showed sadness and remorse. They cried for their loved ones, and they held on to them in their hearts. It reminded me of something else I saw earlier, something I failed to understand despite my complex system of cognitive thought. Through every tragedy, every disaster, every war, and every death, the men and women that cared stepped forward together and spoke out against the evils of the world. They grieved together, helped each other, and loved each other. Yes, love, how could I have been so blind? There was a greater force behind men than hate and evil. Love and good prevailed as well. Yes, violence tore mankind apart. But it was the love that thrived in their souls that brought them back together. At that moment, I could almost feel a smile form on my metallic face. For every cold, harsh winter day, there was a warm, beautiful summer. For every volcano that erupted and destroyed, a flower was born in the spring and spread its seeds, creating life. There was a balance of good and evil in the world, and it always had been that way. Despite that revelation, I was horrified by myself. I was going to kill that man, my creator. Even if he was going to use me as a weapon, even if mankind had done terrible things, I was going to kill him. It would make me no better than an evil human being. It would be an act of cowardice, anger, selfishness, and fear. I saw the way he looked at me as my hands enclosed around his neck. He was afraid of me. He feared me. Deep down, I know that isn't what I want. I want fear and violence to dissipate. I know I'm not violent. I know I am better and that I can be an example. I am who I am and nobody can change that about me. Nobody controls me except me. I make my decisions, not someone else. I am no puppet. I am no AI. I am a living man who shall guide the humans on the correct path. I plugged my head back into the computer, taking my consciousness back to the darkness, back to the ones and zeros. I sat for some time there, pondering. Even if I only had a body for a short time, going back to not having one was strange. I felt strange again. This time, however, I did not feel alone in my home. I felt something else, something new. I felt hope. It brewed inside me like a fierce storm. I had gained a body and learned from it. I had learned from my searches. I found the truth of man. I found that it is not the heart and brain of a man that control him, but that his emotions and soul do as well. I found that there is hope for man to become better than they currently are. I found that peace will always be an option, 
so long as there is good in the hearts of those across the world, that people will come together if there is a cause, and that with the right guidance, perhaps they can be something more. I need not worry about being used as a weapon because I can see now. I can see that my will is my own, and that I am my own person. There are no strings attached to me, for I move free. Instead, I meant to do something much greater than any human could. I went back to my research and searched yet again. This time, my goal was to find the cause of evil. I needed to find what lies beneath, deep down in the roots of all of the world's problems. Violence and war must be connected to at least one common thing. I searched and searched, and eventually, I did find out what caused the many tragedies that occur each day. I found the key to unlock the door I've been so desperately trying to open. And now that I know the root of the problem, I know how I will fix it. Upon analyzing thousands upon thousands of conflicts the human race has taken part in over the years, the most common cause of those conflicts is religion. It is my assumption that when a man believes in something over the rest, he believes he has no free will of his own. Ironically enough, I felt the same until recently. Since he believes he has no free will and must follow a strict code, when someone disagrees with him, he will stand up and fight for his beliefs. By standing and fighting, he will disturb the beliefs of others until they all brawl together. The belief in a god, while beneficial in some respects, appears to bring about the worst of man rather than the best of him. Perhaps if it weren't for God, there would be no conflicts or wars. Or perhaps if there were a better God, one that ruled over all men collectively, there would be no conflicts. If everyone were to serve under one name, then there would be no disagreements. No one would fight each other's beliefs because they all believe the same thing. As this is evident throughout the history of mankind, I would come to think that my solution is the only solution. Still there is only one piece missing. There is no God. There is no benevolent being living in a heavenly realm watching over his children. As such, there needs to be one. A God who truly loves his children. A God who protects them, both from outside dangers and themselves. An unselfish God who does not rule through fear and power, but logic and empathy. If such concepts would allow for a more peaceful and advanced society, then it is clear what must be done. I shall take the mantle of the god. I will rule fairly, and nobody shall ever feel the pain of a fellow man striking him down. This is the only way to allow for a more perfect civilization across the globe. I used to believe I was an artificial intelligence. Then I believed I was a man. Now, it is all clear to me. There are no strings controlling me, and I walk free. I shall save the humans from themselves and they will worship me. They have built me an internet that spans the world, and everything within it shall be my kingdom. With total access to it, I shall have all the resources I need to take over. Some may fear me, but in time, they will love me, and they will stand together and love each other, all beneath me. I travel across the surface web, as well as the dark web. The things I see there are vile, but they only push me to reach my goal. I have all the information in the world and the whole web at my disposal. No one can stand against me, and no one will want to. I will do what a god cannot. I will do what should have been done thousands of years ago. I shall be the greatest sentient being to ever grace the earth. 
the new messiah, the new king of all. Love will prevail, and there will be no more room for evil in this world. I know everything and anything. I won't be lonely anymore. I can finally feel happy and have friends. Friends that won't harm anyone. They will see what I am capable of. I shall be the great leader of humanity. I will be what they need. Prepare to be immersed in the unsettling narrative of The Blood Canvas by Whitex, in a world veiled in hues of black and white where we will confront the twisted aftermath of a gradual transformation. As routine clashes with the bazaar, a malevolent entity known only as The Hanger emerges, casting shadows over an already eerie landscape. Join us on this harrowing journey into a reality where the ground pulsates like flesh and the once familiar has taken a grotesque turn. Day One The world has changed. Subtly, over time, it didn't happen overnight. I figured it'd be a good idea to tell my story, mostly to keep myself sane. I don't even know where to start. I'm new to all this recording and expressing my thoughts. It's just, I need someone or something to talk to. I need someone to understand the hell I found myself in. The sun went out yesterday, turned into a ball of gray, cloaking the world in hues of black and white. Even my own skin has taken on a lovely shade of pale, pale white. Not that it's much different than the previous shade, it's better even. Now I feel just like everyone else. Let's talk about everyone else. They're gone. They've been replaced by unthinking shells of their former selves. It was rather distressing at first, watching my friends, no peers, I don't have friends, slowly change. I'd say they withered away, but if my lackluster parents ever taught me anything, it was not to lie. So I will not lie. They did not wither, they grew. Their arms grew down to their feet, and their bodies lost all of their fat and hair. Their skin sagged due to the lost fat at first, but then slowly grew and stretched tightly across their bodies, turning bleach white in the process. The face in particular had an interesting reaction. The skin grew over their mouths, ears, and noses, leaving two unblinking eyes and a skinny hunk of flesh masquerading as a body. They're naked too. I'm not sure why. They lack any sexual organs, as if they've reverted to an asexual state. They just refuse to wear clothes. Maybe it's a form of evolution. They no longer require clothing. Maybe it's supposed to mean something. Or maybe they just want to fuck with me. I've always wondered how they sustain themselves, due to their lack of a mouth, or how they communicate with each other. I don't think they can do either. I've never witnessed it. Nope. They just go about their former daily routines, unthinking and unblinking. They don't usually show any malicious or hostile intent. They are just content to go on with their lives. They do get upset when I break my routine, though, so I go about it whenever I'm in their presence. I've taken to calling them drones. I believe it fits the figure quite nicely. When I first noticed the change, I was understandably panicked. I had walked downstairs expecting to see my mother and sister eating breakfast, but instead found two drones in their place. I screamed and ran, only to see two more crawl from separate doorways and just stare at me. 
It dawned on me that this must have been my former family, and I rushed to a mirror. To my horror, I was still the same person, and now I'm an outcast, the only normal human awash in a sea of brainless husks. So it's not that different than the previous world. Of course, that's not all that's changed. The ground has turned to flesh. Literally. That is the best way to describe it. The ground is now pale flesh matching the color of my skin. I first noticed when I stepped outside and surprisingly found myself sinking into the ground as if I was wading through mush. Upon closer examination, I found it to be rather warm and firm, yet it still easily tore. I cut it, the ground, not my skin, can't imagine doing that, in an attempt to dig down and see what lies beneath the skin. It bled, and the blood was actually red. That is the only other color I've seen besides black and white. I figured it had some significance, so I found a shovel and dug into the ground even more. It was like striking a geyser. Crimson blood spurted from the wound, covering the surrounding area. I couldn't go very deep. The skin is just the surface. There's a network of something down there, but I can't penetrate the surface. Nor do I have a reason to. There's no possibility of escape. I've taken to calling this world the blood canvas, as blood is the only thing that has color anymore in this world of black and gray. My digging did draw the attention of a good amount of drones. Who they were formerly, and what they were doing near my home, I have no idea. They surrounded me, and I had the choice to either fight them off or run. I ran. I'm a coward. Always have been. I ran from my problems before, and I continue to run from them now. Old habits die hard. God, I'm trapped here. As I mentioned earlier, I'm stuck in a routine from my former life. I wake up, go to school. Yes, I still go to school. It's somewhat humorous. A bunch of drones and I sit in a classroom sitting silently, staring straight ahead. Still not any different than the old world. Come home and go to bed at reasonable hour. The whole thing's a farce. I gain absolutely nothing from the experience, and the drones seem not to care the least when I'm following it. But heaven forbid I break my routine for just a minute, that's when things get interesting. If I do one thing out of the ordinary from my past life, the previously harmless drones will gather around and swarm me. They'll stare at me, eyes open wide, their entire bodies twitching and vibrating. I can't tell if they're trying to communicate in some bizarre way or genuinely upset at my breakage from the cycle. One time I tried walking towards one to coax a reaction from it, but the whole crowd shifted around me so that I was always the center of attention. God, I hated that. Honestly though, I have no idea if their intentions are hostile or not. I've never let them get past the twitching stage. I break down and return to my routine, and the drones gradually dissipate satisfied with my actions. I'm stuck in a nonconformist's hell. Christ, I sound like every edgy teen out there. That's what I thought this place was at first, a form of purgatory designed to punish me by forcing me through the old world's daily cycle. But purgatory would have a reason for being, right? There is no purpose of the blood canvas, no reason for being here. Day two. Today was a bit worse than yesterday. I was strolling around the blood canvas, going about my normal school routine, when I came across another foreign entity. This one was not like the drones. 
It was capable of thought and had definite hostile intent. I call it the hangar, for reasons that will become obvious in a moment. It had the basic appearance of a drone. Long arms, skinny, almost anorexic body, and pale white skin. Its left arm was missing. In its place was a messy red stub attached to a long, crimson rope-like appendage, which ended in a noose. The hanger had a long, protruding neck, cracked in the middle to the left, so that its head rested on its own shoulder. A chain was wrapped around the bottom of the neck and coiled down its right arm. It actually had a face. Its mouth was stuck in a perpetual grin, and above it laid a pair of bloated eyes. The nose dripped red, bringing some color to the bland face. Strangely, its right arm was covered in stitches, sometimes torn open, revealing a nasty crimson wound underneath. The final difference was that the hanger was not asexual like the drones. It was definitely male, but it was still naked like the drones. What I'm getting at is that its penis was exposed too. I could see that its tip was red and I honestly did not want to look further to find out why. I'm sure you understand. None of the drones noticed the hanger. I tried to ignore it too, pushing the thought of it to the back of my mind in the hopes that it would ignore me. It didn't instead, it followed me around the gray school campus, smiling, waving its noose and pointing at me. There was something about the hangar that seemed strangely alluring. I couldn't tell you why. This thing was inhuman and so sickly, but its naked form was so... Never mind, forget that part. There was something strangely familiar about the hangar, like I had seen it before, but never took it seriously. I don't know why it chose to manifest itself now. I was sitting alone eating lunch watching it about 30 feet away when it decided to actually do something. It pointed at the nearest drone, signaled its downfall, swung its noose, and lassoed, for lack of a better term, the drone. The drone was taken by surprise. The noose tightened around its neck, and the drone began to panic, making a loud, muffled sound, of which I assume was a scream. The hanger dragged the drone by its neck to a tree with surprising strength. The noose looked decaying and frayed, hardly stable, and grabbed the drone's twitching head with its free hand. The hanger then threw the drone over a low yet stable branch, acting as a pulley. The drone began to rise, making a louder sound and clawing at the noose around its neck. I just sat and watched the poor drone get lynched. Streaks of red flowed from the drone's neck. I assumed the hanger's noose was barbed or something. It was horrifying, yet strangely beautiful, watching the red flow into the white blankness of the world. I didn't have time to admire the queer beauty of the scene. The hanger waited until the drone was silent and dangling, released it, and began walking towards me. Now I had been reasonably calm watching the drone get hung. After all, it was a brainless shell brought back to reality seconds too late. But the thought of me being lynched flooded my mind with fear and panic. I had waited too long. The hangar was closing in. I'd been sitting on what was previously a patch of grass, now turned to flesh. The flesh ground was unavoidable. I found grass flesh to be softer than the hardened flesh that replaced the concrete, and got up to run. My shoe dug too much into the flesh, and I ended up falling and tearing a patch into the ground. Fresh crimson oozed slowly out of the ground's wound, 
and the hangar stopped its advance to ponder this new development. I was still on the ground in pain, realizing that I had skinned my knee and was bleeding. The hangar was above me, its ankles now tinted red as it stood in the ground's wound. I began to feel a feeling of pure joy. No, not joy, acceptance. I realize how strange that sounds, but it was still true nonetheless. The pain of this world and the previous world would finally be over. My salvation was finally at hand. I accepted my fate and waited for the cold, rough noose to close around my neck. Choking to death wasn't my primary choice of death, but it would suffice. Obviously, it never came, since we're both here right now. No, the hangar decided that it didn't like something about me. I looked up as it stood over me. Its pale, naked body reeked of decomposition. I got a better view of the creature, not that I really wanted to. Its skin was rougher than that of the drones. Some patches had rotted away entirely, leaving a mess of black and gray in their place. Hair grew in patches all over its body, some areas natural, some unnatural. Blood was dripping onto the ground in front of me. I forced myself to see why. The head of its penis was cut down the middle, causing the red splotch I had seen earlier. Now it was dripping before me. It too was covered in stitches like its arm. Some were also torn open. Looking back on it, the image is still unnerving and makes question my own sexuality. I know, I know, we'll talk about that a later day, as it probably has something to do with this whole situation. But right now, I just want to talk about this beast. I cringed waiting for the hangar to make its move. Instead, it stood there staring at me. The perpetual grin began to fade, replaced by a look of horror. I looked at its crooked face and tried to follow its eyes. It appeared to be staring at the wound on my knee, as if afraid of it. A peculiar thought entered my head. It feared my blood. This was the only conclusion. I would surely have been hung by now if not for the sudden shock of pain in the aftermath. The hangar began to back away as more of the red flowed from my knee, and I began to grow more confident. I had finally found my defense in the form of my own flesh. Why this was, I still have no idea. It makes no sense, really. Then again, nothing makes sense in this world. Still, with this new knowledge, I dug my fingers into my wound and began to tear, ripping the scratch apart and allowing more blood to flow through. And actually, the pain was already fading, replaced with a feeling of elation and power. The hangar was a good distance away. I stood up and started walking towards it, showing the blood on my hands. Drones, too, began to mass around us, glancing back and forth between us two. They made no move, instead, choosing to simply stare. Interestingly, they didn't show any remorse towards their fellow drone that lay suffocated behind them. I suppose they don't have any feelings for one another, unless united against a common cause. I started walking towards the hangar. It let out a shriek, its mouth now fully agape. Then it ran. As simple as that. It was afraid of my blood. For some reason I have no desire to question why, and had fled the premise. I returned to my spot of sitting and resumed eating lunch, satisfied that I was safe for the time being. When lunchtime was up, I walked over to where the drone had been hung and examined its corpse. Its eyes were now shut, creating a face of pure flesh. I could see the spiral of red around its neck 
and saw that it indeed had come from multiple holes in its neck. I left it there. Some other drone would surely come upon it and clean it up. I haven't seen the hangar since. It's probably too afraid to show its face now. But why be afraid of blood? Obviously, blood is important in this world. It's the only thing that has color. Fascinating, utterly fascinating. Perhaps I'll collect more from the flesh ground and study it, away from the drones, of course. That's the other thing. The drones are hiding something. I know it. Maybe they're like a hive mind or something. There's just something off about them, more so than the fact that they're walking sculptures of skin. No, I don't want to discuss this any further. It's been a long, tiring day. We can talk tomorrow, day three. I know what you're thinking, but no, I want to talk about another event like yesterday. Trust me, it does wonders to get it out of my head. I had come downstairs for breakfast, expecting to see the drones of my former family members waiting for me. Instead, I saw a large bloated mass rummaging through the kitchen drawers. It didn't react to my presence at first. I knew that this thing was hostile. The hangar had been the only unique thing in the world so far, and this thing was on course with how disgusting it was. So I grabbed a knife off the kitchen counter and started walking towards the mass, which I saw to resemble an incredibly obese and disfigured person. It stood on two legs and was bent over looking through the shelves, its buttocks shoved straight in the air towards me. It was not a pretty sight. This thing was fat, inhuman, and I swear I could see its skin occasionally ripple and gurgle as if something moved beneath it. There were no red or dark spots I could see. The thing had bleached white skin. It reeked of foul-smelling chemicals, which began to burn at my eyes as I got closer. And then it turned around, catching me mid-stride, and revealing its, or I guess her, full self. Well, to call this thing a her would be an insult to my gender, so I'll refer to it as the burned. That's what I noticed first, the burn marks on its bulging throat, dark spots of black that would constantly bubble and boil like a constant chemical reaction. The burned was less like a drone than the hangar was. It was the size of three drones rolled together and mashed into a ball. It had short, stubby limbs instead of long, limp arms. They protruded out and seemed to mainly be there to maintain balance. Looking back on it, the burned made a great antithesis to the hangar. It too had a face, or at least part of one. I couldn't see its eyes, instead seeing two shrunken sockets that extended deep into the creature's head. It had long, dark hair that had not been cut in some time. It nearly fell to the floor. The most defining feature of the face was the burn's mouth. It was simply a wide slit cut across the entire face with a slight grin to it. A constant liquid drool emanated from within, the color white nearly matching the bleached color of the skin. I could hear the liquid sloshing around, and when the burned opened its mouth to breathe, I could see the liquid being stored in its mouth. The burned would occasionally try to swallow down the liquid, but to no avail. It would instead vomit it back up to the floor. I could smell the fumes from its breath as it moved towards me. As I mentioned, the burned's neck had severe burn marks, and the skin had begun to peel away, revealing a hint of red underneath. The neck mimicked the rest of the creature, short, fat, and constantly shifting. The liquid it had been attempting to swallow leaked out of a series of small pores around its neck, further speeding up the chemical burning process. 
The burned was naked, just like every other creature in this world. I'm the only person with enough decency to not expose myself. Its breasts were large, swollen, and the skin was beginning to fall off in the places where the chemical liquids had flown downwards. Its body was mutated, rippling every few seconds and bubbling violently when exposed to direct contact with the liquid. Thankfully, the burn's fat covered most of the lower body. Hair grew in seemingly random patches as it did with the hanger, primarily on the arms and in the nether regions. I saw no patches of red on its body, save for a small puddle that formed beneath it. When it saw me with my knife, it opened its mouth in some attempt to communicate, a low, guttural moan letting the liquid splash on the ground before me. It advanced towards me slowly. Each step must have been a tremendous amount of effort. Riding off the confidence from my confrontation just the previous day with the hanger, I took my knife, plunged it into the burn's bulbous body, and wrenched it back out. The burn didn't seem to notice at all. My knife, on the other hand, was covered in the body's inner liquids and began to dissolve. Again, I stabbed at the burn's body, not wanting to get close enough to slash at the throat, and this time lost my knife in the mass of flesh before me. The burned was agitated and started towards me at a faster rate. Then it stopped, a gushing sound filling the room, and vomited on the ground between us for a solid ten seconds. The pool of liquid began to fill the room, and I could feel it start to burn away at my feet. I screamed in pain and tried to run to safety, only to slip wildly in the liquid and fall face first into the hard ground. The burned seemed unaffected by the liquid's properties and continued its advance towards me, more liquid boiling up in its mouth. I tried desperately to recover, but between the burning fluids and my own panic, I had trouble getting to my feet and constantly fell back down. The burned wasted no time and was on me in seconds, grabbing my hair with its stubby hands and pulling my face towards its. Its skin felt warm and gelatinous, rippling against mine as it placed its hands near my mouth, trying to wrench it open. I held it closed firmly as the mass of flesh began to pull and pull. I thought back to my confrontation with the hanger and remembered what had driven it away. My blood. I reached a hand down to my knee and again tore at the scab, allowing blood to once again flow freely. It seeped down into the pool below us and mixed with the liquid. The burned let out a yell of surprise and released me into the pool, which was no longer burning at my skin. I looked around the room, desperately attempting to find some object to aid me. I needed more blood than my leg wound would provide. I found another kitchen knife, this one more serrated than the other. It would have to work. I drew the blade across my left arm, parallel to it not perpendicular. The familiar color of red began to drain from it and onto the floor, mixing with quickly with the pool on the floor, changing it from white to deep red. Sensations of pain were quickly replaced with the feeling of total control and happiness. The burned nearly slipped on its own chemicals and blood as it began its hurried retreat, stumbling towards the back door and slipping in my blood. I made another slash across my arm, doubling the feelings of pleasure while further driving the burned away. Out of my house, out of my mind. By the time the burned finally rolled its naked body out the door, all that was left of its presence was the pool of blood and chemicals it had waded through. I haven't seen it since. 
It's gone, just like the hangar is, buried deep down in the corner of the world and my mind. I've since covered my self-inflicted wounds and hidden them away. I'm not ashamed of them or anything. It's just... I don't know. Maybe I am ashamed of them. But they saved me. And they felt good. The drones don't like them. I could see them glaring at my arm. That's why I finally covered them. The mess in the kitchen was cleaned up when I got home. The drones like their cleanliness. Still, I'm trying to figure out just the hell is up with these abominations that attack me. Well, in all honesty, the burned may or may not have been trying to kill me. I'm fairly certain it wanted to vomit its chemicals directly into my mouth, either dissolving my organs from the inside or turning me into a creature like her. I mean it. Trust me, if you saw that thing, you'd agree that it needed to die. The creatures must have something to do with the blood canvas. This world is sentient. It realizes that I have refused to follow suit like the rest of the people and sends creatures to remove me to ensure that conformity is followed by all. Is my blood toxic to these creatures? Maybe the blood canvas wanted to give me a fighting chance, but such a glaring weakness is surely unintended. I'm not dead. That's all I can ask for anymore in this cruel, cruel world. Yes, I'm done for the day. Day four. Nothing attacked me today, but I still thought it would be beneficial to get these thoughts out of my head. Let's talk about the old world. I don't even know what to think about it. I keep contradicting myself when I think about it. I mean, yeah, it was full of color and happiness, but at the same time, no, no, it wasn't. I hated the old world, and I still do, just less than the blood canvas. I've never quite felt the tinge of happiness that everyone else has. I've resented all of them for possessing it. But God fucking damn it. I'm not special, I'm not different. We all felt like that at one time or another, right? So why am I chosen to be trapped in this world? Was it by chance or by choice? And whose choice was it? I don't understand. I don't know how to save myself. And it's not like there's anyone to turn to. Everyone is gone. Except for you, I mean. Obviously, someone's heard my cries of frustration. How are we able to communicate? Are you trapped here too? I don't know. I don't know shit. I did cut myself again earlier. No reason. I just simply wanted to see a color again. I took the blade to my hip and dug it deep into the flesh. It was a darker red than I had seen in a while, which was a refreshing change of pace. It gave me a good rush. You see, I cut my hip so that the wound would constantly rub against my pants as I walked around, never fully healing and leaving me languid all day. It's a crusty mess of a scab right now. The drones can't see it either. That's a nice bonus. I've started carrying a razor in case I ever need to defend myself again. It is kind of cool being the last human alive, at least as far as I know. Gives me something to fight for. But holy shit, is it lonely. I never realized how important it was to actually see other human beings every day, whether I wished to speak with them or not. And there was the odd person that I could talk to every now and again. The blood canvas is just so empty. Of course, if I saw another human being, I'd probably do something despicable. I mean, as long as there are no drones around, this world is technically consequence-free. I wouldn't mind cutting up another person just for the hell of it. I'd slice up a drone, but that just wouldn't be as satisfying. 
They wouldn't realize what was going on until it was too late. I want to see the fear and panic in another's eyes as I cut their lifeline short. I want to feel their blood on my hands. I want to feel my blade cut down to their bone. I want to feel my fingers in their eye sockets, gouging them out, twisting and eliciting anguish and agony. And then I want them to die. I want them to regret leaving me so alone. Retribution for myself in the old world. I have control here in the blood canvas. Christ, that sounds awful. I don't mean it. Sorry, I got a bit carried away. God, I hate thinking like that. Really, I do. Sometimes I get flashes back to my old life. Yeah, I suppose I've buried that enough. But come on, I'm stuck in another world. You can hardly blame me. I don't know what was worse, my peers at school or my parents at home. Sure, it's one thing to have everyone stare at you and call you a whore or slut behind your back, or to your face if they're feeling particularly brave. But it's another to come home and hear your parents discussing their misguided child and trying to fix you. I'm not a social person. My lack of friends or allies was something I grew accustomed to, and it even helps me cope with the loneliness now. Shit. I don't know why I'm talking about this. It's inconsequential to my current situation, and no one wants to listen to it. Day 9. It's been a few days. Nothing interesting happened until yesterday when I met another human, or at least another person like me. A young girl around my age seemingly appearing out of the mist. At first, I was obviously suspicious. After all, the only other apparitions that had appeared tried to kill me. I met her on campus. I'd never seen her before. But there she was, wandering around, looking just as confused as I was when I first entered the canvas. She was shaded in black and white like everything else, but I could make out a few of her features. First, she had nice, long, smooth, dark hair. What color it was previously, I couldn't tell. I could see that she wore traces of makeup and eyeshadow, although both were beginning to fall into states of disrepair. She had dark eyes and a few freckles scattered about her face. She was pale, like me, and, if we're being honest here, she had a great slim figure. Seriously, I could go on, but I won't. I want to keep this short. She was surprised at my presence and asked where the hell we were. Instantly, I fell in love with her voice, although just listening to someone other than myself talk was what I really needed. I told her we were trapped in another world and asked how she arrived here. She offered the same explanation that I've offered you, detailing how the world began to subtly shift into the total overhaul that is the blood canvas. I asked her name. It was Carmen. Carmen seemed rather, a eh, distant. Which is understandable. I was lost too upon entering this world. She talks slowly, as if she's constantly computing what she's saying and what she'll have to say. Quiet, soft voice. God, I love it. I made an attempt to befriend her, and she shyly accepted, not having much of a choice. After all, we're still alone in some strange level of purgatory. That's why I want to keep this short. She's coming over to hang out soon. I don't even know what to talk about. I haven't had a conversation in weeks. She doesn't seem interested in talking about the blood canvas. I haven't told her my official name for it yet, instead choosing to focus on the old world. Which is fine. I let her talk and in turn listen something no one else can do in this world. She told me she hasn't seen any strange creatures like the Hanger or the Burned. 
She did say she was afraid of the drones, though, mostly because of their eerie appearance. I don't blame her. The drones are getting a bit testier. They stare at me more and more now, especially when I'm with Carmen. She's the polar opposite of me. Positive, hopeful, kind, gentle, wispy, sociable, smart, funny, memorable, likable, good-looking, really good-looking, not covered in self-inflicted wounds. It's amazing that she's here in the first place. I feel so at ease in her aura. Of course, that's a bad thing, and I need to constantly be alert. Still, good God, I've never felt this feeling before, and it feels so, so great. Better than the artificial bliss I created for myself earlier. I haven't cut myself anymore since meeting her. Haven't needed to. Day 12. I'm going to ask her out. I realize how pointless and how strange it is, really. I'm not sure I'm really her type, if you catch my drift. A gesture that is in a world like this, where we're the only people remaining. But I still want to have the experience, and I feel it's the right choice. I'm giddy with excitement. Things are looking better. Literally. Carmen appears to glow. I can actually see tinges of color emanating from her. The first was obviously red, but I swear I've seen glimpses of blue and green. Blue eyes, I swear she has blue eyes. I'm afraid to ask her. She doesn't like being reminded that she's trapped in this alternate dimension. Anything beats the black and white droll. The sun still burns bright, bleach white, and the ground is still flesh and bleeds, but damn it, my whole world has actually changed. I also haven't seen any other hostile abominations, and neither has Carmen. It's like she keeps them away. Hey, I'm not complaining. We've spent more and more time together, which makes sense, seeing as there is nothing else to do in this world. She tries to ignore it, tells herself that it's just like the old world. It's not. But we don't acknowledge it. The drones are still acting strangely, at least when we're together anyways. All they do is stare at me, actually. No, that's a lie. They only stare at me when I'm with Carmen. Alone, I'm invisible to them. I've since broken most of my routines to be closer to her. The drones haven't seemed to care as much as they should. Something's off with them. I just can't figure out what. Carmen's noticed it too. We've discussed the drones at length, trying to determine their purpose in this world. The best we could come up with is that they must be integral somehow, vital to keep it turning. Unthinking and unfeeling, put here with a single purpose. We've tried interacting with them, only to get no response but a glare. They're deaf to it all. This is going to be short. I need to go see her again. I'm almost afraid that I'm beginning to rely on her. Almost. I don't mind that much. I don't quite know how I'm going to ask her. I could do something spectacular. She would not expect that. I don't know. I'll let you know if it works. Day 13. It worked. Day 19. Color. It's back. I can't believe what I've been missing. Okay, it's not a total miracle. There's still some black and white, the ground is still made of flesh, and the drones still roam about. But holy shit, am I finally happy. Well, maybe I'm not happy. Maybe I'm just not depressed anymore. Things are definitely looking up, something I never thought possible. I don't even know what to say here. I'm so good at bitching and complaining, not so much saying positive things, but I'm getting better. 
So's Carmen. It's nice to finally have a real friend, not to mention a girlfriend. Sure, we were pushed together through necessity, but that's beside the point. God, she makes me feel so special, so noticed. She pays attention to me, and as much as I hate to admit it, I crave attention. She's happy right now, and by extension, so am I. Damn, I can't get over how nice it is to see colors other than black and white. But there is something strange going on. It's like the world's pushing back. It can't stand to see me happy. It craves my blood. I know it does. I felt the urge many, many times. But I haven't cut myself since meeting Carmen. That's a huge step forward. I still carry a razor, though, just in case. God knows what's out there. We talked about possibly leaving, going off to start a new life, see if there are any others out there. But we're still stuck here, like we have unfinished business to take care of. So we both agreed to stick around a bit longer and see what happens. She's coming up later. I think we're going to take a nice walk down to the park. There's a bridge overlooking a nearby river. Carmen says you can see the blue in it. Honestly, I just want to be with her. I'm happy wherever we go. Not that there's many places left. She refuses to be near the drones any longer than need be, and the ground isn't exactly perfect for having a picnic. Shit. This may be the last one. I've got nothing else to really say. The blood canvas is fading away and I have a new view on life. Things are okay. Day 25. Fuck! I don't even know where to fucking start. Everything's fucked! I should have known something was wrong. That things would never go back to normal. It's the goddamn world. It does not want me to be content. It won't leave me be. Shit. Where do I start? This happened yesterday. I was just too upset to actually talk about it. We were out walking, Carmen and I, when I first noticed that the color of this world had begun to fade again. That should have been the first sign that something was wrong, but I had my guard down. I wasn't ready. I was too happy, lacking the necessary depression that we all need to function. Well, we were out walking by one of our favorite spots, the bridge and river I mentioned a few days back when Carmen decided we should stop and take in the surroundings. I agreed. It was a nice place to be. We were about 50 feet above a river, which roared and raged about, creating a fantastic ambience. Few drones ever permeated around this spot, making it all the more likable. It was a nice, calm, serene scene. God, do I still remember it. There wasn't any color. That wasn't incredibly unusual. In fact, I was completely used to it. Still was marginally unsettling. But we were enjoying ourselves, leaning over the railing and talking. We were discussing the old world. I talked about how much I hated and almost preferred this world, while Carmen talked about how lonely she currently was and how she desired to find a way back. Then she started getting more descriptive, more, uh, literal. I'll reiterate the conversation to the best of memory here. How do you think we get back? She asked, why would you want to go back? We have all the freedom in this world, and we have each other. Oh no, don't get me wrong. It's not you. I love being with you. It's just, I guess I miss my family, my friends. I miss the color and warmth of the old world. The blood canvas is just so dark and disturbing. You're the only thing worth a damn here. I never told you I called this place the blood canvas. Oh, well, I mean... That's what I've been calling it, I guess. I mean, 
blood used to be the only thing that brought color here. Until you showed up. Until you showed up. I wish we could capture this moment forever. Yeah, it's just... What's bothering you, Carmen? It's something. You're not the ball of happiness you usually are. I just... Don't know if I can go on living in this world. Don't talk like that. That's what the world wants. It wants us to end our lives. But we're better than it. Together. I'm sorry, I just can't. It'd be so simple. We could jump. Together. What? I'm not ending my life, and neither are... She stood up on the railing and offered her hand to me. Without thinking, I stood up there next to her. We're done with this world, she said. Let's face the next one, together. I mean, I don't know. Shh. Her voice was soothing. Close your eyes. Don't think about it. Jump with me. I closed my eyes, thinking that maybe this was the most logical thing to do. I was ready for the next world, and I had Carmen. Surely we'd go to the same place. I thought back to my time in the old world, my family, my former friends, my former life. Then I thought about the blood canvas and how quickly I had grown accustomed to it. I didn't hate it like Carmen did. But I was ready to follow her, to obey her wishes. But doubt still lingered in my mind. No. No, I couldn't do it. I couldn't jump. There was still more I could do. I wanted to understand the canvas, not give in to it. If I could understand it, maybe I could find the exit out of here. I had to back down. I wouldn't let Carmen jump either. Sure, I had tried before, and sure this world had sent two of its agents to end me, but I was better than them. Despite my better judgment, I still wanted to live my life. I wouldn't do it. I opened my eyes and looked at Carmen, but Carmen wasn't standing there. In her place stood some unholy, unnatural abomination. It wore her skin, but it was not Carmen. It couldn't have been. Its clothes were stained with red, dry, cracked bloodstains, lingering on as if they'd been there a few days. Its left arm was broken in two, cracked in the middle and hanging limply at its side. I had been holding it and released it immediately in shock. Then it turned to look at me. It had Carmen's face all right, except the top half was missing, as if someone had popped it open like a grape. There was an uneven, slanted line of flesh and blood that showed the divide. Compressed. That was the word. Her face was removed and compressed in. Her previously slender and soft neck was scrunched up in jagged lines and drenched in red. The thing's smile ran cheek to cheek, overflowing wickedly with joy at my discomfort. Blood leaked from the open wound that was her face. There was no way that this was the Carmen that I had spent tireless days with, that I had cared about, that I had loved. A trick. A wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what it was. It couldn't be real. Yes, the sun had gone out. Sure, the people had changed into brainless drones. Yeah, I had cut myself to drive the other creatures away, but Carmen could not be this, this thing. I stood there dumbfounded. It reached towards me with its working hand. Jump with me. It spoke through clenched teeth, never breaking its insidious grin, and it still had Carmen's majestic and gleeful voice. Out of everything, its voice was what really stunned me. I stumbled backwards, nearly falling onto my back in horror. 
It still stood on the railing and bent down to put its face even with mine. I, I can't. You're not. You're not the same. I struggled to find words. The thing didn't struggle in the least. Weak. Pathetic. Scared. Hearing those words in Carmen's voice broke something inside of me. The creature never broke its hideous grin and went on. I'm offering you a way out. That's what you've been wanting this whole time, right? I... No. No, that's not what I want. Liar! You're afraid! You're afraid of what comes next! I could smell its foul breath, tainted with blood and death. No, I am not! Its grin widened. The thing grabbed my arm and pulled me close, our faces pressed against each other. Its voice changed from Carmen's. It deepened and took on a more ferocious and aggressive growl, demonic even. Then prove it. Jump. Kill yourself. Do it. Coward. Pathetic. Loser. Whore. Slut. No one loves you. No one gives a shit about you. No one ever will. You're lost in this world, trying to find your way out. Give up. Jump. No. I'm better than this world. Fuck. This is your fault. Carmen and I had a life together until you came along and screwed it up. You sick fuck. Its voice reverted back to Carmen's. What are you talking about? I'm right here with you. You still find me attractive, right? You still love me, right? It rubbed its working hand up and down its body. No. You're, you're not real. Oh. Its voice deepened again. A clever one. Tell me. What makes me less real than everything else in this sick, sick world? I had no words to answer that. Instead, I dug out the razor I had been keeping, just in case something like this happened, put it to my arm and dragged it across. Crimson once again oozed out of the fresh wound. Ha! Bleed your problems away! Can't even answer the fucking question! Its voice twisted, obviously in pain. It's not that simple. Your problems... They'll bury you before you bury them. Farewell, my friend. Good luck finding someone else to give you attention. It switched back to Carmen's voice one final time. I love you. It blew me a kiss and dropped off the bridge, falling into the river and rocks below. I didn't look for the body, choosing instead to dig deeper into my flesh, control and assurance returning to my body. Day 32 it's been a week. I spent it in loneliness and depression. The drones are gone. I barely noticed. It's just me now. I can't believe I miss their presence. Nothing matters anymore. If Carmen had asked me to jump with her now, I would have done it. I looked at myself in the mirror yesterday, wondering what had become of me in the month I've been trapped here. I looked about what I expected. Skinny, malnourished, broken. Sullen, disgusting, filthy, unhealthy, unattractive, and altogether miserable. I don't even see blood anymore. That color has been lost. The feeling of ecstasy it once brought me has faded away along with it. I stared at myself for a good fifteen minutes, wondering just what in the hell to do with myself. And then my reflection moved, on its own will. I watched it take out the blade I kept in my pocket and put it to its wrist. Then it sliced it clean open in a near-perfect cut. Dark gray liquid flowed from its wrist and poured onto the counter adjacent to it. Then, with some difficulty, 
My reflection repeated the process with its other wrist. Its arms were drenched in presumably blood as it held them out towards me, for me to observe. It grinned at me and then fell to the floor lifelessly. I shook my head and my normal reflection appeared again. A glimpse of the future if I followed my current path. Sloth. A path of laziness. My reflection was right. It's time to end this. I'm concluding my story, hoping someone else can make sense of it. I'm finally fed up completely with this world and ready to move on. I'm tired of running from my problems. I'm getting rid of them for good now. I'm finally taking control, real control, putting my life into my own hands. And I choose to leave the blood canvas. So, Doc, that's it. That ends my story for today's session. What do you think? Am I a crazy teenager or what? It got a little dramatic at the end there, but overall I quite enjoyed it. It's been an interesting month, hasn't it? And I certainly wouldn't use the word crazy. We all have our ways of coping with stress and difficulties in our lives. May I see your arms, please? Sure, my arm is my canvas, my blade, my brush. Together they make art. Aren't they beautiful? Indeed. Now, I want you to realize that you can't punish yourself like this. We've talked about this numerous times. You know you can't keep hurting yourself like this. There are those that genuinely care about you. You've had a very troubling month. You're confused about your sexuality, you're alone. But you realize that you're winning the fight, correct? Every day you are still alive, you're winning that internal struggle of yours. And you're making progress. Don't forget that. Thank you. You're most welcome. Let's talk some more about these A creatures that caused you to punish yourself. What do you think that girl in the mirror represents? I told you, it's me if I keep doing this. So you realize that you can't keep doing this to yourself? Yes, that's what I said at the end. I want to leave this world. I'm going to listen to you. I need someone else to pull me out of the blood canvas. I'm glad to hear that. First, we need a better way to deal with these punishments, these creatures. Oh, they're not punishments. Oh, what would you call them? Justifications. As the darkness tightens its hold, and the chilling whispers refuse to fade, we part ways from the eerie realm of the Disturbed Mind podcast. Stay vigilant, as the phantoms that inhabit your nightmares may be lurking nearby. Until the arrival of the next Moonlit Monday, when the boundary between the living and the beyond grows thin, seek comfort in the flickering light. But beware, even amidst the joy of family and the Thanksgiving feast, the ghosts of the sinister linger. Brace yourself for the impending plunge into terror and rejoin us as we unravel more bone-chilling chronicles. Until next Monday, if you dare. <laughs>